0: My guest today is Dmitry Alperovitch. Dmitry is a cybersecurity expert and was a co-founder and former chief technology officer of CrowdStrike. Dmitry is currently the co-founder and executive chairman of the Silverado Policy Accelerator, a nonprofit organization focused on advancing American prosperity and global leadership in the 21st century and beyond. In this interview, we discuss Dimitri's perspective on the recent U.S. government hack believed by many to have originated in Russia, including why the hack was not an act of war, but instead a traditional espionage, why this hack has potential to be 100 times more significant than the IOPM hack, as well as some of the silver linings of the hack. We discuss how organizations can protect themselves from adversaries, including why every organization needs to start with the assumption that an attacker is already inside, why trying to build walls around the perimeter of your network is futile, and the importance of planning regularly to defend a cyber attack. We also discuss the importance of using password managers, why individuals should be suspicious of emails and not click attachments from unknown people, why our government is at its weakest point to be able to respond to this threat currently, and a variety of other topics. Dimitri, why don't we just you know jump right into it and I would love your kind of analysis of what has happened. Um, you know, there's been a, a lot of um a lot of controversy. There seems to be consensus that uh, the the hack is the work of the Russians, a a a country at least that you're quite familiar with in terms of its tactics relative to this. Maybe just sort of set the lay of the land, if you would.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So so I think it's important to understand that while this is a grave situation and certainly um, will likely be highly detrimental to our national security in the short and medium term, um, this is not an act of war. This is not a digital Pearl Harbor, as, as some politicians have been um, talking about this um, in the last few weeks. Um, the important thing to understand is from what it looks like right now, and, and we have now you know, information on, on what this operation has been at least over the last year, um, is, is traditional espionage. Um, the targets have primarily been government agencies uh, with some um, um, technology companies as well wrapped into it, but primarily focused on theft of secrets that are, as you can imagine, of, of high priority um, to Russian intelligence, um, if it proves to be that, as uh, is most likely the case right now. so. Um, This was uh, an audacious operation, uh, uh, incredibly well executed, very, very patient. But at the end of the day, the goal was staffed, the goal was not destruction. Um, The goal was not uh, leaking of that public information. There's a small chance we may still see that and and then we have to reevaluate our assessment. But for now, at least, it looks like the exact type of operation that the U.S. government, the U.S. intelligence community would be proud to have executed against uh, our, our own adversaries. Um, now, from a supply chain perspective, you know, we do now understand that um, you know, we have a major threat vector that most organizations have not been focused on, which is their IT providers like SolarWinds, um, like resellers that sell their Microsoft Cloud offerings through which you can be compromised um, without the, really having any way to control for, for, for that risk, at least on the front end of of the, of the intrusion cycle. Are you,
0: I guess, I guess, at this this point,
1: confident that it, that it is the Russians, indeed? So the interesting thing about this um, particular intrusion is that the private sector really does not have attribution here, um, unlike virtually you know, every other operation we have seen over the last 10 years, where many in the private sector, including my, my, my uh, former company, CrowdStrike, was very good at uh, attributing attacks, and, and many of them very, very quickly. This one, because the tradecraft was so new and unique, never before seen, there's really nothing to tie back to any previous operations we have seen um, to really give us a, a good understanding of who the adversary may be. So all the attribution so far has been coming from government officials and obviously intelligence agencies are very good at um, attributing attacks based on you know, a variety of different sources and methods that uh, go well beyond just technical measures. So. For now, at least, uh, you know, we have to wait to to see what the evidence uh, is going to come out. Um, With regards to this, we may very well see indictments in the future for this operation as the Justice Department has been establishing, uh, you know, very good, uh, I think, uh, precedent for indicting uh, foreign intelligence operatives on a regular basis for various nefarious acts that they've done against this country.
0: Yeah. And and, uh, you for private sector companies, what what, do you, what would you advise for chief information officers, chief information security officers, others who are involved in um, you know, in, at least trying to kind of grapple with the consequences to their organizations and ensuring that um, the damage is limited to the extent to which they can?
1: Well, I think this really underscores the, the topic that you and I, Peter, have talked uh, in, on a number of occasions about, which is that every organization out there needs to start with an assumption that an attacker is already inside. Um, this particular case underscores just how futile it is to try to build walls around the perimeter of your network because someone somewhere is going to get through, um, through through a new mechanism that you, you haven't even thought of or, or, or can't control for. So it could be a supply chain attack next time. It could be a zero-day vulnerability. It could be a, a known vulnerability that you hadn't patched against, uh, or it could be an insider. Um, the number of methods that they can get in are numerous, and if you're trying to chase your tail— um, trying to for, for, uh, you know clo- close uh, down each one, you're always going to fail because there's always going to be one more thing that you hadn't accounted for that's out there that you may not have even, even thought of. Um, and the reality is that if you start with the assumption that a capable adversary will get inside and then you start hunting for their activities within the network, that's when you can get an advantage where if you detect them quickly and eject them before they do any damage, you can prevent from, from any damage uh, any, any damage from being done. And if you look at how um, they executed this particular attack, yes, they came in through the SolarWinds vulnerability or they came in through the um, reseller um, um, that um, was selling Office 365 and Azure licenses to their customers. But at the end of the day, once they moved past that initial vector, they started doing traditional things. They started maintaining persistence, trying to kill security products, move laterally, et cetera. And that's where you have the opportunity to detect them. And in fact, some organizations have detected them, and and, and were able to, to eject them before um, any any impact, uh, um, before they had any impact to the to the company. Yeah,
0: it's interesting. Also, this this comes at a time where there's there have been a number of, of uh, you know vulnerabilities that the, the fire eye issues that have resulted. For instance, you know some of the organizations who have been best equipped to help organizations uh, you know, guard against these very issues. Uh, it, it underscores the possibility. I mean, just as you say, you need to operate under the assumption that they're already in. That's even true of the security organizations themselves. Fair enough.
1: No, absolutely. Right. And, and frankly, you know, FireEye is is somewhat a success story here because they picked it up. Uh, you know, they were hunting for, for leads within the organization. In this particular case, the attacker made a mistake when they were trying to bypass two factor, it triggered an alert. Someone was, uh, Smart enough to look into that and and uh, uncover the intrusion. Um, you know, you could argue maybe maybe they 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 could have picked it up sooner. But um, at the end of the day, um, if they hadn't noticed it, we would to this day probably not know about the extent of the operation that has been done and, and the number of victims and and that solar winds um, uh, was one of the the vectors in. So. Um, I think they've done a huge um, service to to the entire industry, uh, security industry, as well as the broader public in, in bringing this to light and, and and revealing what had happened to them.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, as you, as you say, uh, you know, a, a, key, um, a key message to technology executives who are responsible for the security of their organizations is to assume that you will be penetrated, which means having, as we've talked about in the past, Dimitri, uh, you know, not only having great uh, technology and an ecosystem of of partners at your disposal who can help you, but also having great and this is part and parcel of the same, but it, but also involves process points and people points associated with this as well in terms of you know training of your people, having a culture that is attuned to this, uh, having you know uh, sound dis- disaster recovery business continuity plans in place and tested and so forth. Um, so it's kind of marshaling all of that together. Is that that, that is that a fair synopsis?
1: The, the most important thing is have a plan, um, uh, test that plan regularly, make sure that every person within the organization, both in the security team and outside legal, comms, etc., are aware of what their roles are and, and how this may unfold. So That's really, really critical. At the end of the day, there's no uh, sort of uh, magic pixie dot, dust that you can just sprinkle all over your network and make yourself immune to, to any attack. Um, it will include technologies, it will include people, it will include processes. All this together is what ultimately will make an organization resilient and uh, be able to withstand uh, even a sophisticated adversary such as this one.
0: And what do you you mentioned that this is you know primarily espionage, as you said, it was not a uh, an, an attack to destroy information. Um, what what do you foresee? You know, again, with the information we have now, some of it's still to be validated, of course. Um, the sort of medium to long term consequences of this.
1: Perhaps the most interesting element of this was how targeted this was. Um, it was really like a sniper shot um, from a mile away, uh, going after very, very specific victims. So if you look at the total potential victim population, it is massive. You've got uh, you know 18,000 um, SolarWinds customers alone that have downloaded the back door that could have been compromised by this adversary. Um, you have other supply chain mechanisms, which we're still just about um, learning now, uh, Microsoft uh, resellers are, is just uh, one of the latest ones. So you, you'll probably, will we'll find out there are tens, tens and tens of thousands, uh, if not hundreds of thousands of potential victims um, that the attackers had access to. But um, what we're finding is that the number of organizations that actually went in and used that access, used that master key, if you will, to open up the door and get in is much, much smaller. Probably my guess is on the order of a couple hundred, maybe 300 um, at most, um, most of them government agencies. So I think the impact will primarily be limited to, to national security. When you look at the agencies that have been targeted, the Pentagon, the State Department, Treasury, uh, Nuclear um, Security Administration Agency that's responsible for protection of our nuclear weapons, um, those are the types of things that a nation state like Russia would have uh, you know, incredible interest in gaining access to. Um, the silver lining is that, um, well, there are two silver linings. One is that uh, most of the potential victims out there looks like got the kill switch from the adversary where the, the attackers basically said, we're not interested in you um, um, the, uh, and basically shut down the malware. Um, and the second uh, silver lining is that it looks like they have not been able to infiltrate classified networks, at least based on what we know today. And of course, classified networks is where we, we, we store most of the super sensitive information in the US government. Um, Although even on unclassified networks, you still have a lot of highly valuable data that that can be damaging for years to come. And when you compare to some of the other breaches we've had, you know, OPM prior to this uh, incident was probably one of the most impactful um, in terms of the security of this nation when, you know, 20 plus million uh, background checks and people with clearances have been stolen uh, from this government agency. You know, this can be OPM times, uh, you know, 100. Um, um, uh, going forward as as we learn about uh, the impact of what was taken. And the fact yeah. that they were able to run this for at least nine months and probably longer is also testament to um, uh, uh, what impact we'll probably see from this.
0: And and what sorts of additional vulnerabilities are there with the changing of administrations?
1: Well, that that's an interesting point because, of course, right now you have things in a flux where Um, You know, uh, there's no political leadership, for example, anymore uh, uh, in in CISA, uh, the cybersecurity agency that's uh, managing part of this response. Uh, Chris Krebs, of course, was fired by the president uh, about a month ago and um, along with um, uh, his deputies. So now you have an acting civil servant uh, in charge of CISA, who is a tremendous individual. But uh, as a civil servant, as uh, someone in an acting capacity, you just don't have the authority to do what's needed uh, in order to marshal um, other cabinet officials and uh, and the rest of the federal government to respond to this crisis. On top of that, you have a situation where many people are sort of polishing their resumes resumes and have one foot out the door, if not both feet out the door at this point, um, looking for jobs in the private sector. So you have a government that I think is at the weakest point in terms of being able to respond to this. And um, um, of course, you have a new administration that's going to come in on January 20th that's not going to have any confidence that the networks um, of these agencies that they're going to run on um, are secure and uh, have not been infiltrated by the adversary. And the adversary is not reading you know, every email um, that they're sending. And in fact, um, today, we know that you know, a number of these agencies uh, have already transitioned to operating unclassified networks because that they assume that the unclassified networks are not secure. And um, that, that has real operational um, impacts because uh, lots of people don't have access to classified networks when you're on the road. Um, and outside of a SCIF, you can't easily get access to your classified email. So um, um, it really impacts communications within the government.
0: Mm-hmm. That's a very very good points you raised there. Uh, curious, is there anything? I mean, Dimitri, you're somebody who's been cognizant of these for uh, th- these issues and have been operating with the philosophy that you talked about at the outset of this. What you recommend to other executives in terms of, um, you know, zero trust and um, is, is anything uh, that you would recommend to 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 individuals in terms of. Uh, safeguarding their personal data and, and in light of this, recognizing it wasn't necessarily um, individuals who were the primary targets in this case, but it underscores the fact that you know, there, there, there's always this possibility that the data that is most important to us, most private to us, may, may be accessed by, by people against our wishes.
1: Well, uh, from an individual perspective, there are a couple of things that everyone should be doing. Uh, One, um, uh, one of the most effective security mechanisms is is actually also one of the cheapest, um, which is a password manager. Um, Everyone out there should be using a password manager. There are free versions of them. they are very cheap ones as well. And the important thing is to make sure that every password that you create for literally anything, any software, any website out there, um, any equipment that you may have, is random and unique. And you save it in password manager and then the only password you need to remember is is the password to password manager. Um, That is one of the most common ways that people get compromised. They reuse their passwords, they use weak passwords and and password manager really can stop those types of attacks down in the tracks. Um, And beyond that, uh, really be very suspicious. Uh, Be very suspicious of emails you get. Uh, Don't try clicking on attachments from unknown people or, or anything that you may think is suspicious so um, if you're using uh, a webmail service like a gmail or office 365 they have preview mechanisms where if someone sends you a spreadsheet or a pdf you can uh, preview it within the browser uh, in a very safe method because they render it on the server side um, and it doesn't execute on your machine so those are the types of things you want to do to try to keep yourself safe Um, again i want to underscore the point you just made peter that this particular intrusion is not going to be that impactful to individual aside maybe from from people working in the government or having clearances. Uh, but, um, you know, there's certainly plenty of other attacks out there beyond this one that we should also be focused on. That's excellent.
0: Well, Demetri, I mean, we've, we've covered, I think, most of the points I was hoping to cover with you. Anything else that uh, that I haven't asked you that you think uh, um, my readers ought to be aware of as a result of this?
1: I think from from a policy perspective, one of the things that I would encourage the Biden administration to not do is overreact here. Um, and, you know, some of the initial. Statements that I think have come out have not been particularly helpful. Um, The president-elect issued another statement last night that I think was much better, where um, you know he he talked about the need to build resilience into our networks, and I think that's the main lesson we need to learn from this. Uh, You know, I view this as uh, good on them for 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 doing this. Uh, Shame on us for letting them, and we need to do better on defense. Um, And this is not uh, sort of a a Casas belly for for an aggressive uh, attack. Um, If it is the Russians, uh, there's plenty of issues we have with them and there's plenty of uh, highly destructive attacks that they have launched over the years, including NotPetya that that has caused billions of dollars in damage, uh, Olympic destroyer, the attack on the Olympics in South Korea and so forth. Um, But this is not one of them. This is traditional espionage of the type that we all do and and, um, we want to continue doing. So I don't think it's it's a good way for us to use this attack to, to set particular norms against espionage. That's great.
0: Excellent. Dimitri, thank you so much for taking a little time. Thanks for tuning in. Please join me on Monday with my guest we George Lotto, the Chief Information Officer of Alexion.